just basic rudimentary fundamentals in real estate. You know, we look for good assets that are well-maintained, well-operated, that does have some type of value-add component, whether that be through upgrades to amenities or the property cosmetics, or just from an operational upside. And we also look for, you know, real estate that's in good locations, whether that be in close proximity to great schools, great employment centers, high traffic, high visibility areas, whatnot. So that's rudimentary, right? Good fundamentals. And then from there, like I said, you know, we really try to look at what, how do we maximize the overall revenue? How do we capture some of this upside potential to really increase the value and, and execute and achieve our business plan? Welcome to the Prosperity Through Multifamily Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by Blue Oak Capital. If you are looking to take your real estate investing to the next level and learn how you can achieve your financial success by investing in multifamily real estate, then this show is for you. Our mission is to help you improve your education and learn proven strategies from industry leaders to help you master multifamily investing. Now here's your hosts, Cody Laughlin, John Beatty, and Brian Alfaro. Hey, accredited investors, are you concerned where to safely place your investment capital to hedge against your downside risk in this crazy market cycle? Are you worried about preserving your wealth in this volatile market? Well, my name is Cody Laughlin, managing partner at Blue Oak Capital, and we offer exclusive, sophisticated investment opportunities to qualified investors who are looking to protect and preserve their wealth by investing in recession-resilient alternative assets. Now, my partners and I have successfully acquired over $115 million of commercial real estate in some of the country's strongest markets right here in Texas. And we have built a team of experts needed to acquire and manage these sophisticated investments to produce solid risk-adjusted returns. So if you are wondering where other smart, savvy investors are choosing to invest right now and why they are choosing to invest in markets like Texas along with us, then I want you to text the word PODCAST to 832-743- one four zero zero right now to connect with us now to this week's episode the following segment was originally recorded on the real estate breakthrough show with christina Souter. blue capital is a houston-based private equity firm focused on the acquisition of cash flow producing multifamily real estate across the u.s blue capital is dedicated to business excellence by creating a culture founded on trust transparency integrity respect and commitment. Now, any of us who've been invested in real estate for even like five or six years can really appreciate why those particular elements are so important. I could go through each one of those and why to me as an investor, I care about those. Transparency being one of the highest things on my list, followed by integrity. Hopefully you respect me as well, But honestly, integrity is the thing I'm counting on when I'm a passive investor and I'm investing in what you guys are doing. Your integrity and your due diligence is what I'm really relying on. And then your capacity to move that forward. Our mission is to strengthen our relationships and partnerships with those around us, help others obtain financial freedom through commercial real estate investing and improve the lives and communities in which we serve by providing safe, affordable, and accommodating housing. Guys, welcome to the show for having us on, Christina. Yes, thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. And listen, uh, before we get into the show, we would be more than glad to accept your investment capital anytime you're ready. Just <laughs> yes. yes, that is the perfect response. That is exactly what I need you guys to say and exactly what I expect to hear. Let's jump into the story first. Real estate is fun, challenging, exciting, busy, rewarding, all kinds of things. But challenging is one of those things it is. And I've invested in real estate long enough 
and well, invested. I'm an investor. I invest in stocks. I in, I've invested in oil. I've not invested in gold directly, but my father-in-law has. I've invested in hard money loans. I've done angel investing, startup investing with businesses. I've invested ATMs. Oh, and by the way, multi-units and single family and mobile home parks and a variety of other real estate-backed assets. So I'm, I'm an investor. I have lost twice in my life, close to or over a million dollars, twice. So <laughs> that being said, I appreciate a good story in real estate and what it takes because I've been the person sitting in the chair going, I am a first aid loser. I have completely messed this up. I have no idea what I'm doing. I thought I was on top of the world and now I'm not, but I stuck with it. I stuck with it and I moved myself forward. One was in stocks, one was in real estate specifically, but I stuck with it and I moved myself forward. That takes a level of depth and commitment. So let's hear your story. <laughs> Why use real estate to break through to your success when it really can challenge you as a human being? Well, I mean, it's like anything else, right? I mean, anything in life that is worth fighting for is going to be challenging. Right. I mean, if it were so simple, everybody would be doing it. Right. And so that kind of goes without saying. I mean, yes, real estate is an incredible vertical. It is an incredible vehicle. And there are so many positive aspects to what we do in our business. But we all know what you're alluding to. Right. Is it does come with certain headaches and certain challenges and certain risks. I mean, it is not a risk free asset by any means. And so yeah, we, we've all got stories to share. And Brian, I'm sure she's referring to the one we were talking about before the show, right? Which was the, the five-figure lift station that went out, the two positions on our staff that are vacant, and our highest least exposure on uh, our acquisition to, that we recently just took over. So uh, why don't we start there? Yeah, I, I am drooling. I am so excited about this story <laughs> because this is what it takes for a professional to show up. I mean, what we see in this story is what can happen. But the result of the story is what you made of it. And the fact is you made something of it. So absolutely. And that's why, you know, as investors, there's a saying in real estate that our job is to be problem solvers, right? So finding opportunities like this that have problems to be solved, this is what we're looking for. This is where we, you know, you hear the term value add. These are the opportunities where we can add value, right? So as Cody was alluding to, there's always some skeletons in the closet. Some have a lot of skeletons, some have a few. And the more, the longer you hold the property, the more skeletons you usually find. And they come across all verticals, you know, your C-class properties, which are usually more workforce housing, more blue collar tenants are going to have a different type of uh, skeletons often. But even your A-class properties can often have some skeletons, which is the story we're talking about where our most recent acquisition, which was an, a 2017, 2018 vintage property. So a newer building A-class property. As soon as we took over, you know, the, the skeletons started coming out of the closet, so to speak. Yeah. We found out that one of our lift stations uh, was previously having some problems, which is basically something that they have on the property that's a pump that has to do with the sewage and the drainage uh, that went out. I believe the first week that we owned it, I uh, ended up finding out that that's something that needed to be replaced, which was a five-figure expenditure. Uh, so that's something that surprised us. But that's why when Cody underwrites as our lead of acquisitions, he has a, a solid CapEx budget and also making sure we have reserves in place for these types of things. Following that as well, you know, we thought we were going to go and acquire the property and be able to keep the on-site staff, which was a leasing and maintenance 
agent and that didn't happen as well. We ended up finding out that he wasn't able to stay. And But we also ended up finding out that he wasn't the best person to execute our business plan. So it had a little bit of a silver lining as well. So these types of things, you know, you start to find as you take over the property that, you know, what you think you were going to do when you took over the property isn't actually what ends up happening. But that's what makes us real estate investors, right? We're problem solvers. Our job is to always say plan and pencil. Make sure you have a plan. You don't want to go in there swinging blindly, but you're plan needs to be in pencil because a lot of things are moving. A lot of things are going to change. And our job is to be problem solvers. And as these things pop up, make sure we have the skill set and the ability and have the right resources in place, both financially and through our network. Who do we call to solve this type of problem to go and just make sure we continue to move forward so we can execute our business plan? Beautifully said. Beautifully said, because it is exactly what happens. And it really is in the underwriting. I, I tell this story a lot. It's my I was involved in Arlington, Texas as a partner in a deal. And the primary, the GP was an LA guy. I knew him well. We were friends. This was going to go well. This should be fine. But I was thinking I was a limited partner. Just so you know, I was the investor. I was not the GP. And so I was not on that side of it. And we had, I think it's almost $200,000 worth of subflooring dry rot damage in Texas due to the oil that you guys have in your... Yes. <laughs> I remember this was literally a couple, a decade and a half ago, but there you go. And so all of my investment all of my investment was south because our reserves were not big enough. And we did not, the GP who was an LA based gentleman who had worked in multi-units, but primarily as an agent, like there's my red flag. That's red flag one. Two was moving, was working out of state in an area he did not know. Red flag two. Three, he offered 35% total return across the three to five years of the project. Five years divided by by you know, by 30, divide 35 by five years, right? The return actually wasn't that big. We didn't really have that big a cushion and the CapEx budget was not nearly big enough. That one failed. Your guys didn't. So tell us how you made sure it didn't. I think it all starts with, like you said, it's the underwriting, you know, like for example, the lift station. We want to make sure when we're underwriting that we have healthy amount of reserves and a contingency for those reserves just in case something happens. Mm-hmm. COVID was a great example about how things can come out of nowhere and you can't necessarily plan for them. So making sure we have those reserves, making sure we have that budget in place for those surprises was something that helped us weather that storm. We didn't have to hesitate and think about, oh, should we fix that? Should we wait? We can make the move quickly. Same thing with the staffing. Our job is to have strategic alignments with our property manager to stay on top of our third-party property manager to make sure we're having, if not daily, at least multiple times a week conversations about staffing and getting on multiple calls to figure out what's our best strategy based on what's going on in today's market. With There are massive labor shortages. Wages are rising very fast. It's really hard to find skilled labor. What can we do in the interim to make sure that the property is performing at its highest and best use and it's performing and keeping the residents happy? And then what's the plan three months from now, six months from now, 12 months from now? So we can set ourselves up for success. So on this five-year business plan, we have everything that we need to make sure that it happens and we have a plan going forward. So I think CapEx, you know, making sure you're underwriting correctly, making sure you're communicating with your property manager. I didn't mention on the last uh, segment about the, the lease exposure Cody had mentioned. You know, We have a lot of tenants coming off leases at, at, at a primetime leasing season, which the previous owner uh, did not do a good job of setting us up for success when you know 20% of your residents have their lease ex- expiring on the same month. Okay. Uh, so those little things, you know, constant communication, constantly talking to your property manager and making sure you're being aggressive and pushing forward. Uh, these are the, the intangibles that you want to make sure your general partner has if you're coming in as a passive investor, that they have a strategy, they have a plan, and they're going to execute their business plan. The thing is that you have to be, you can't panic. Things are going to happen. Unforeseen things are going to happen. And you could be 
very granular in your due diligence. You could un- try to unturn every stone, but listen, there's going to be things that happen that you can't anticipate for. But when you're buying good real estate in a great location and you're putting in good hedges and you're underwriting, like we talked about reserves, things like that, that can give you the confidence to weather those storms, then there's no need to panic. You know, And so I think that's important as well. You can't be reactionary to every single thing that comes up. You have to be proactive and you just have to be calm and patient. And like Brian was saying earlier, just be a problem solver. So you guys were able to do that. First, you had the lift, but you had the CapEx reserves. Thank you, Cody, for figuring out to make sure that that was there to be able to take in a very large exposure. The second thing was when your leasing agents disappeared and you had 20% of your leases renewing, how'd you guys solve that? Because that's, you know, that can be complicated and solved badly or it can be solved well. Yeah, no, it is. And it's when you see it on paper, you're like, oh man, 50% of our property is renewing here over the next three months. And that's a, that's a big one. But, you know, but, I think, look, it starts with a good property management team. And I think Brad was alluding to that earlier. You know, we do third party and we have a lot of confidence and trust in our third party property management that we work with. They manage one of our other assets. And so they've proven their ability to execute and solve problems themselves. And so we saw this as both an opportunity, not only to, you know, kind of implement our business plan and whatnot, but, you know, we were also looking to do a value add here. So the idea of having turn it, residents that are turning over and having vacant units come online actually afforded us an opportunity to come in and actually execute our business plan even faster. Okay. But what ended up happening through that is we actually ended up renewing uh, most of those uh, leases that were coming due. So actually ended up working out to where we didn't have to do anything. So, <laughs> but I think, you know, when we took over and, yeah. and Brian, we can allude on this a little bit further. You talk about like creating a resident experience, right? You know, we talk about the real estate, but you really got to focus on the residents. That's who you're serving ultimately, right? And so immediately we tried to say, hey, what can we do to make an immediate impact on our community? to give these residents a peace of mind with a new ownership group, new management group. And we did like a community welcoming event, you know, and we got some other things planned for starting next month to just kind of do some engagement and just show them like, hey, we appreciate you as a resident and we want this to be a community you're proud of. And showing that immediate visibility impact, we already were giving, you know, getting great feedback from those residents. And I think that what helped uh, renew a lot of those leases. So then you guys, and there you go. I mean, it was, it, it was, Thoughtful and silver lining. I get it. First, you covered the silver lining, which is with so many. I mean, it's very true in Southern California. When you get a building that actually has empty units, in some ways the building's actually more valuable because you're capable of filling those units with current market rents. And rents have gone up by 17% in the last year. So that's a huge uptick in the value of a building. If you have a unit or two, or depending upon the size of the units, you could have two or three be, you know, if it's a small unit, three or four could be significant into the cash flow. But in Texas, you can get 20 to 35 to 50 units, depending upon the size of the building, can actually be incredibly valuable because every dollar adds to the value of the building without you guys even having to rehab a building if the new rents are 17% higher than the rents that just left, right? So, I mean, that ends up being an incredible value add by itself managed well. Yeah. It's always a great day when uh, leases are renewing without having to spend any CapEx and you can renew them at market rate. That's, that's a good day. So. That's a good day. Were you guys able, but you were able to renew them. How much were you able to force on rents or, or was it sort of all over the board? Uh, a little bit all over the board, just because some of those in-place leases were when the previous management team uh, were signing them on, they were they were kind of all over. But I don't know, the average delta was at least 
probably $200, right, Brian, somewhere around? They're close to market rent. Obviously, yeah. they had been there a little bit longer, so they got a little bit of a discount versus market, but there wasn't a lot of loss to lease on those. That's great. Because I mean, again, the rehab for me, now I don't own large buildings. I do mom and pop buildings. The buildings I have owned in my life have been 50 units, 30 units, even like 18, 12. So I don't own the above 100 or close to 100, 150, 200s. I have not owned those by myself. The ones I have owned personally have been the mom and pops. But if for me, one of the biggest drains on my building is the make readies. You know, so not being able to manage. I mean, yes, there's common space. Yes, there's water. Yes, there's management expenses. Yes, there's CapEx expenses when a porch goes bad or something like that. But the ongoing drain in the building is the refurb expenses in being able to bring a unit either prepared for the next tenant, which might be as simple as paint and some new light fixtures, or it might be as complex as new tile, new countertops, new bathrooms, new tubs, right? Depending upon if I'm trying to reposition the units or not. So. It sounds like you guys managed to have this work both in your favor as well as like day to day. And the reason why I'm breaking that down is because you could have freaked out. You could have said, we don't know what the heck we're going to do. But instead, you took a deep breath. You said, okay, we can manage this. You doubled down within your conversations with your leasing company and you found the silver lining, right? Because the silver lining was, hey, if we can get a little more rent without having to spend a lot of expenses in being able to prepare a unit for a new tenant. So therefore we get that money. You couldn't say free. It's not completely free, but easily. We get that money easily. That's a value to the building. That's exactly right. And I think in the multifamily space, you hear this from a lot of big operators. You really make your money on the renewals because you can have a, a potential high cost of acquisition for a new tenant, right? To bring somebody to market to them, whether you're doing on Facebook, you're on Google, you're doing you know PPC, you're doing SEO. There's an acquisition cost that comes along with a new resident. The best type of uh, lease you can have is a renewal because it's somebody who already lives at their home. And if you can get them as close as you can to market rate, they're going to be much more happy and it's going to be way more valuable for your business, uh, just bottom line overall. So trying to get as many renewals as you can as close to that market rent is always the strategy. Uh, but obviously, sometimes you have to get people that just can't afford it out of the unit. So Sometimes. And, and again, there is a silver lining to that. There is more cost, more time, is time physically, more cost in goods um, as a loss of rent. Of rent. Um, but like you said, it's also being able to reposition a property can be helpful. So that being said, let me share a bit off of your guys' website. So here is your guys' graphic on your investment strategy. And I think that it's, to me, it, it seems like very core. Like this is kind of like if we're a well-running company that is interested in repositioning things then this is kind of the process that you go through. But why don't we walk through what it is that you guys specifically focus on in this strategy? Yeah, and when you look at this graphic and you look at you know where we started, very similar to most anybody entering multifamily, you, know, you pursue the value-add opportunities. That's typically where there's more upside potential, higher yields, and you know more value that can be created, right? And I, I would argue that most do multifamily investors have to kind of cut their teeth on those value-add deals, right? Yeah. But it's kind of interesting. We spent some time looking at value-add. We still look at value-add today, but our core thesis has actually transitioned to focus more on newer stabilized buildings with a 
what I would call a higher tenant profile or resident profile demographic. And the reason being is because the aggression that we've seen in the marketplace, right? You know, you have a high degree of execution risk right now with your value add because everything is trading on a premium. And so there's just some things that you need to be a little bit more aware of now trying to pursue the value add strategy. But just like just basic rudimentary fundamentals in real estate, you know, we look for good assets that are well-maintained, well-operated, that does have some type of value add component, whether that be through upgrades to amenities or the property cosmetics, or just from an operational upside, you know, maybe the current in-place management teams not just executing as well as they should be for whatever reason. And we also look for, you know, real estate that's in good locations, whether that be in close proximity to great schools, great employment centers, high traffic, high visibility areas, whatnot. So that's rudimentary, right? Good, good assets, yep. good location, good fundamentals. And then from there, like I said, you know, we really try to look at what, how do we maximize the overall revenue? How do we capture some of this upside potential to really increase the value and, and execute and achieve our, our business plan? So I don't know, Brian, anything I missed there? Nope. You hit the nail on the head, Katie. Makes perfect sense. So I think what's interesting to me is, is that if you're going to do newer properties, the physically newer properties, they're a better grade of quality. You might say A, A minus, B plus in that range. Then the repositioning of the property can be something that can be perceived as being harder. So what are you guys looking for in repositioning a property? Oh, that's a great question. I think for us, we Cody used the term like a light value add. So there's still a lot of A minus, call it B plus properties out there that still do have a value add component, but it's not the major rehab where you're moving walls, you're doing all new flooring, all new paint, cabinets, you know, countertops, lighting. These are properties that are, say, maybe vintage from 2000 and up, maybe, you know, late 80s, early 90s on up. So they've got good bones, good good yep. construction, good foundation, and you're really going in there and you're doing some light upgrades. So like for some context on our, our latest acquisition was a 2017 build and it's still pretty new, right? 2017. Yeah, that's, right. that's what I'm saying. 2017, how do you value add that? Yeah. So how do you value add that, right? So typically what you find in these properties that are 2010 to 2020 is a lot of them have been built by the developers and they're still being held by the developers, or maybe they've got one other buyer on top of that. And okay. they haven't done a lot. They're still builder grade. It's kind of like the way I describe it. It's kind of like buying a single family house when you buy it from the developer. Everything's really builder grade. And some people like to go in there and do some light upgrades after they buy a brand new house because everything's builder grade, right? It's yep. very similar in multifamily where we go in and on the property we just acquired, for example, there's no tile backsplashes in the kitchen. In an A-class property in a nice area where the homes are you know, almost $400,000 as a medium, you expect right. your kitchens to have tile backsplashes, right? So that's a value add component that we can go in and add mm. to the property. Another mm. example would be tech packages, right? This tenant demographic, the A-class demographic that are typically a little bit more fluent, they have white collar jobs, they like the luxury package. They like the type of convenience amenities. So those are going to be smart thermostats where you can you know, adjust the temperature from your phone. Those are going to be smart locks. So you don't necessarily have to always have a key. You can use your phone to get into your home, right? That's another version of value add for us. And then we're also doing some other type of things like uh, upgrading closets into what we call California closets. These are from a third-party vendor where you can go in and you can demo the closet that's in there, which is typically just a traditional you know, couple rods you see on the hook. 
Mm-hmm. Um, these are more designer closets that have spaces for shoes, spaces, you know, different layers of shelving. So it's a little bit more of a luxury thing. So between backsplashes, tech packages, and closets, that's our value add strategy for something that's only five years old. And based on where we're at in the market rent, we're still able to capture anywhere from 100 to $200, uh, sometimes a little bit more on these rents compared to where they were at just with that light package, which all in is actually not very expensive. I think it's really important to really understand your micro market, your assets that you're looking at and the demographic. And then how do you best serve the needs of that demographic? You know, if you're looking at, you know, workforce housing community, that's a 70s product that doesn't have any washer dryer connections. That's a valuable amenity, right? I mean, the the residents would love to be able to do their laundry care with inside their home, right? That makes sense, right? And, you know, to Brian's point, you know, you take a look at the asset that we're referring to, which is right behind my shoulder, you know, that's a different demographic, you know, you know, young working class, you know, no families yet. They're they're tech driven. They like the the convenience amenities, as you mentioned. And so you just got to figure out like, hey, what is the need of the demographic and how do we solve that problem? Okay. And I actually really appreciate your description and going through the details of that, Brian, because when you describe like, yeah, but we're taking a generic product, what has been created to be effectively a generic product or constructor grade or development grade product. And now you're adding personalization that makes it feel like a luxury product. Then there's sort of like the, like you said, the pride of moving in, the pride of a nice unit, the capacity to be able to say, it looks nice. Look at that closet. I can put my shoes away. I feel like I'm living not in a generic environment, but an environment that is built to feel luxurious. And you described that beautifully in being able to say that because honestly, shoe racks would never have occurred to me. So is there anything else on this particular page before I stop sharing it that you guys want to talk to? No, I think it's, again, it just goes back to our point about just remembering that you serve people, you know, and in your, your job, when you're looking at these properties, your obligation is to serve your residents. And how do you provide uh, an affordable, accommodating home that they're proud to be in, that it suits their needs, their lifestyle, and you got to solve that problem. I think that's the core of any real estate investor. So I agree with Cody. I mean, just understanding what you're a problem solver and we're in the people business is the really the message here. So taking care of your investors, really, really important. Taking care of your vendors, really, really important. Taking care of your residents, really, really important. Uh, you're con- you know, we're always thinking about the excess of nose and the dollars and the cash from cash and the IRR and occupancy and all these numbers. But really yeah. at the end of the day, Cody said it, it's very rudimentary. Let's just focus on taking care of people. When you take care of your people, good things tend to happen. You read my brain. Brian, I would, my next question was, you know, we talked about your tenants. We've talked about your strategies with your buildings. We know that forces value into the building, which is part of why we're doing, you're doing it. How do you help take care of your investors? Oh, that's a great question. Investor relations is something that's very important to us because we want to build long-term relationships with our investors. We don't want somebody to invest in our project once. We want them to invest in multiple projects. Now, maybe they don't have the capital to invest in all of our projects, but we definitely look to have repeat investors. And the best way you can do that is just having phenomenal customer service. How do you differentiate yourself from another lead sponsor? That's a question we're always asking ourselves. What can we do over at Blue Oak Capital? That's a little bit different than the other sponsor because the reality is, is there's lots of great sponsors out there. There's people out there building lots of wealth and helping lots of investors. But 
How do we get investors to know, like, and trust us, which is something you hear a term throughout the industry. Yep. No, like, and trust. Absolutely. No, like, and trust, right? So it's the little things, right? Mm-hmm. It's going out of your way to, after you close a property to give an investor a gift, for example. That's something we're really prideful of is on all the deals that we close, we like sending our investors a little something to show them like, look, we really appreciate you trusting us with your hard-earned capital. Here's a little something out of our pocket to show you that we really value the opportunity to partner with you and want to build a long-term relationship. That's a, That's just one little thing. But I think the core really comes down to being transparent and having really, really good communication, which is something that we highlighted in our mission statement that you read on our bio, because nobody likes being left in the dark. And as you just mentioned, we all know real estate is not always on the up and up. And there's a lot of challenges that we have to face that affect our underlying business. Investors just want to know about that. If things aren't going great, and maybe you're going to miss a target one month, or maybe we're not able to issue distributions because we hit some, some sort of challenge in our business, just be transparent about it and own it and be clear about what's going on and vice versa too. If things are going really well, keep investors updated. I think that communication piece is is really a fundamental part that a lot of investors don't get when they invest a lot of sponsors. I know Cody and I talked to a lot of investors and one of the top things we hear is that they invested in a project and they had no idea what was going on. You know, They're not providing investor updates. They're not providing those numbers. And I think that's a really core piece of any business. But for us as real estate investors, we take care of our investors by providing them with just that top-notch customer service to make sure that they understand we value the fiduciary responsibility of, of uh, leveraging their capital. We want to do repeat business with them and have a long-term relationship. At the end of the day, it just comes down to being authentic and transparent and being accessible. You know, We want our investors to feel comfortable that if they need to ask questions or they have concerns about whatever that we're available to address those. And like, like you said, you know, just providing that customer service that gives them a peace of mind through the best times and the worst times. And I think that just comes down to authenticity and transparency. So the transparency is huge for me as an investor. I invest in syndications, as we talked about, and I have clients, right? Because I'm a real estate investment advisor. So I specifically work with people looking to place their assets in real estate. I help them come up with a design. And then in that design, I almost always like to try to slide in some syndicated deals because it's it's the good cash flow, right? It's like there's cash flow and appreciation, and you don't have to be exhausted. <laughs> I'm just saying, right? I don't have to, I don't have to have nearly as many sleepless nights as you guys probably have, right? So I personally like that, especially if you're like a lot of my people that are clients are either working or newer to real estate, or they have a portfolio that's so chaotic that they kind of had enough, right? And so syndication deals to me feels a particular slot, right? And again, unusual in that it allows you to get cash flow and appreciation. And that's part of the niche that I look for specifically. And apartment deals often let you do that, value add apartment deals. And they're similar, right? They're almost, I mean, not to be difficult, but the returns are seven, eight, nine percent preferred return. And then a waterfall split on the backside after some version of fees has been paid of maybe it's 70, 30, maybe it's 25, 70, you know, 25, 75, maybe it's, you know, some are 50, 50. If they're actually smaller, I find small, funny that the smaller deals go 50, 50, but there you go. Um, but that's, that's what I'm saying. Like they're, they're like, no, these are, there's this whole ballpark They're in the ballpark. Right. And you guys all know the ballpark. You guys are not confused about the ballpark of what is out there to stay competitive with your investors. So I have one of my clients who was like, yeah, I invested in this, in this company and I sent them some emails and they weren't very responsive. And, and oh, by the way, I ran into the guy at a conference that I went to and he totally didn't recognize my name. He totally didn't recognize my face. And even when I said I was an investor, he's like, oh yeah, that's great. And like literally turned away from her. And she went, I don't ever want to invest in that thing again, ever. Because there's too many good choices that are in this ballpark 
to be treated as if they don't care about me. They're holding my $100,000, excuse me. So therefore, yes, so she's not going to invest in that. We just talked about another one where she went, yeah, they don't, they don't seem to be responsive to me and they don't seem to be da-da-da. And there was something that she was like, I just feel like they're not going to respect me. Yeah, I think there's an evolution that happens, you know, as people scale their businesses and as, you know, you get to a certain point of expansion, it's not uncommon that you may not have a direct relationship or connection with the lead sponsor, right? You may not see the guy that's on Facebook. You may not be able to talk to, but the good companies, like the true, the good businesses have an infrastructure and a team in place that support all of their investor relations. So you have a relationship with somebody that's in that team. And that's the difference. And and to your point, I think if you don't get that or you don't observe that, then that might be a a question mark about really, you know, the type of business that they've been building. So I think that's a great point. But I would tell people, you know, look, even if you're not talking to, not that we're big shots by any means, but let's say, for example, if you're not talking to Cody or Brian directly, but you have somebody that's on our team that is close to us that we have hired to put in place because we trust them to take that responsibility for us, then that's equivocal to good business acumen. So how do people get a hold of you? I mean, if they, they've heard that you guys can straighten stuff out, They've heard you guys are strategic planners and you're thoughtful in what you do. They've heard about how you guys try to take care of your tenants and your investors. If they want to hand you $50,000 or $100,000 to put into an investment, how do they get a hold of you guys? Well, we appreciate the opportunity, Christina. This has been a great conversation. So it's always a pleasure to to come on the show here. But uh, yeah, we're very visible. You can find us across... You know, social media platforms, LinkedIn, Facebook is uh, primarily where we're at. But if you really want to connect with us directly and learn more about us and, and, you know, the content that we're giving out, you know, the education that we're providing to our database, you can connect with us directly through our email at Cody or Brian at BlueOakInvest.com. Or you could visit our website at www.BlueOakInvest.com as well. And you guys have articles and education right there on your website. So if people want to go there, you actually try to educate your investors and allow people to check you out, but also be able to add value in increasing the education. Two most important things in investing in real estate, education and networking. Absolutely. I so appreciate it, guys. Thank you so very, very much. Thank you for being on the show. This is Christina Suter with Real Estate Breakthrough. You can find us on YouTube, Roku TV, iHeartRadio, Spotify, iTunes, and probably some other platforms as well. Oh, and well, there's also the Phoebe Pasadena. So go to PhoebePasadena.com. You will also find our meeting where Brian and Cody presented. Thank you guys. Have a good night. Thanks, Christina. To learn more about Blue Oak Capital and how you can partner with us, visit www.blueoakinvests.com. Tune in next time.